Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle and thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com. Hope you uh, take the opportunity to check out the Sonic Cinema Patreon at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. I've got a uh, lot of exclusive uh, content up there already for uh, patrons. I've been posting uh, exclusive uh, Oscar nomination analysis throughout the past month for uh, patrons, which will also be uh, online for people in general with the uh, release of this podcast, this episode of the podcast. And I also have a uh, handful of rewards for anybody at the $3 or more uh, categories. We have a uh, the introduction of the book that I'm writing. We have a uh, look at some of my uh, musical work, which I uh, came up with and is going to be sort of the basis for another uh, longer podcast for another uh, piece of mine later as well as some exclusive uh, audio from outtakes from one of the uh, episodes I did early on in the podcast. So I hope you check that out at patreon.com backslash Sonic Cinema. Today, uh, I am wrapping up 2017 for good uh, with the Oscars this coming weekend. Uh, I'm going to be doing my annual Oscar predictions, as well as the 10 best films of 2017 for me. 2017 was a really, uh, really great year for me personally. I thought it was a uh, terrific film year. I thought it had a lot of exciting and original different projects from some established filmmakers, but also some filmmakers that uh, were just starting to get grasp on. And I think there were a lot of really terrific genre films that came out this year. Uh, there were a lot of great uh, quality, serious films for Oscar contention. And uh, one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm actually going to start out with my uh, Oscar predictions and my Oscar commentary uh, because, and then wrap up with the... Uh, 10 best films of 2017 for me before I go into my prediction for best picture. So uh, because of the fact that this is basically, hey, this is what I would like to see nominated, uh, that feels like the best way to go. So we're going to, uh, unfortunately this year, I've been, uh, I haven't gotten a lot done as far as the documentary features, foreign films, I haven't seen any. I don't know if I'll get to any before Sunday. Really late to the game as far as a couple of the animated films. But uh, I can at least do the uh, technical awards, which I've seen most of the nominees for, as well as the acting awards and screenwriting and all of that. Uh, we're going to go ahead and start off with the technical awards. And like I said, I've seen most of the uh, nominees in these categories, so... It's uh, pretty easy to for me to pick my personal favorites of it. So we start off with production design, which we have Beauty and the Beast, Darkest Hour, Shape of Water, Blade Runner 2049, and Dunkirk. Uh, this, this is a really strong list, as is a lot of the uh, nominations this year. There are so many great uh, possibilities here. This, this is a really strong year and it's weird because of the fact that I was originally not really interested in the Oscars this year. I wasn't really keeping up with it beforehand. Then when the nominations came out, I was kind of blown away by how varied and interesting the nominees were. So I all of a sudden got really excited about the possibility. So I started to catch up with the movies I hadn't seen yet as well as uh, just kind of being more interested and more engaged with what might win. So we're going to start off with production design, and I've got to say, this is a great group of nominees. Uh, I can see any one of these uh, nominees winning. I think of the five, I think my personal pick would be Blade Runner 2049 for the way it expanded that world 
from the original Ridley Scott film, uh, even though I have a feeling Shape of Water is probably going to win because Shape of Water was the most nominated film with 13 nominations, and it's a beautiful movie by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, but my personal pick would be Blade Runner, uh, but I do think Shape of War will end up winning. Coming up next, we have uh, Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling. This is a category that I actually have only seen one of the nominees in with uh, Darkest Hour. I have not seen Wonder, I have not seen Victoria and Abdul. So I can't really say which one I would prefer. I mean, obviously, I've only seen one in Darkest Hour, but honestly, I gotta say, Darkest Hour was not terribly impressed with. I was uh, kind of wasn't that big of a high on that movie overall, and I wasn't really that big on the makeup. I didn't think it was that impressive. I thought it was just generic. Uh, you know, aging and actor makeup, and I I wasn't a fan of it in that respect. So I don't really have a horse in this race as far as the uh, nominees. So I don't really have... My gut says to probably go with the Best Picture nominee, which is Darkest Hour, but I could possibly see the other two winning as well. Best Visual Effects, uh, this is, again, a really great category Blade Runner 2049, Kong Skull Island, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Star Wars The Last Jedi, and what I really, truly hope wins, it because it's shameful that uh, Weta Digital is not one yet for the, Planet of, the new Planet of the Apes series, and War for the Planet of the Apes really deserves to take it home this year. It is a stunning work of performance capture, and... It's just a beautiful movie in general. Uh, I definitely hope that that wins. I can I can see this being a toss-up. I can see Blade Runner winning. I could possibly see Last Jedi winning. But I definitely hope War for the Planet of the Apes wins. Uh, best Achievement in Sound Editing. This is basically for sound effects. Sound effects editing. The nominees are Baby Driver, Dunkirk, Shape of Water, Blade Runner 2049, and Star Wars The Last Jedi. Now, given the fact that my favorite movie of the year was Baby Driver, I would you would naturally assume that I might go with that one, but in fact, my personal pick here is Dunkirk. Uh, I feel like what Christopher Nolan does with the sound mix in here, the overall sound mix I'm not a fan of, but the sound editing for the sound effects is really spectacular. Uh, I can see any of these winning. I don't think it's a shame. If any of these win, I think all of them are really deserving nominees, but I do hope Dunkirk wins. Uh, best sound mixing. This is the full gamut of sound, dialogues, music, and sound effects. Uh, we have the same five nominees, Baby Driver, Blade Runner 2049, Dunkirk, Last Jedi, and Shape of Water. And like visual effects, uh, I've got Clear Horse in this race and Baby Driver. If Baby Driver does not win Best Sound Mixing, I'm going to be profoundly disappointed. It is such a masterpiece of using sound, every piece of sound, sound effects, music, dialogue, everything to tell a story. And nobody told a better audio story this year than Edgar Wright did in Baby Driver. It's my clear pick. It was an absolute masterpiece of a sound mix, and I loved every minute of it. Best Achievement in Film Editing, we have Baby Driver, Dunkirk, I, Tanya, Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. It's a pretty in interesting set of nominees. Uh, I think the only one I probably would be questioning is Three Billboards, but honestly, I do think Dunkirk will be the win here, rightfully so, because it was fantastically edited film. Um, Baby Driver would be my number two for a lot of the same reasons it was my favorite movie of the year and had the best sound mix of the year. Just the way it told the story was very highly charged, and I absolutely loved every minute of it. Costume design, Beauty and the Beast, Darkest Hour, Phantom Thread, Shape of Water, and Victoria and Abdul. Honestly, it would be a crime if Femme Thread lost this award. It really would be. 
Uh, the four no other three nominees I've seen are really good in this category. Phantom Thread stands head and shoulders above the rest. It's just such a lush use of costumes to tell the story. And I absolutely thought it was amazing. Best Achievement in Cinematography. We have Blade Runner, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Mudbound with Rachel Morrison, who just did amazing cinematography on Black Panther and is the first female to be nominated for an Oscar, and The Shape of Water. Like a lot of people, I'm hoping that Blade Runner 2049 wins Roger Deakins' first Oscar, and honestly, it would deserve to. It is a beautifully shot film. There's so much use of practical effects and production design, and Deakins is in a class by himself as far as contemporary cinematographers. He is truly one of the great ones of all time. Uh, if I had to go with a second possibility, I can certainly see Dunkirk winning, but I definitely hope it's Blade Runner and Roger Deakins finally wins his first Oscar. Uh, we are moving now to the song and score categories. Uh, the songs, admittedly, a uh, couple of the films I haven't seen, uh, Marshall and Grey Showman, I haven't had a chance to check out the songs yet. Um, but honestly, I would be surprised if Coco for Remember Me does not win. It would be a very big upset, I think, if anything else won. Uh, maybe Grey Showman, I've heard very good things about the music, but Coco just is... It's that traditional Disney song that just really sticks with you, and uh, and I I loved it. It moved me to tears when I saw the movie, and it's just fantastic. For best original score, we have Dunkirk by Hans Zimmer, Phantom Thread, Johnny Greenwood with for his first nomination, Star Wars: The Last Jedi by John Williams. The Shape of War by Alexandra Desplat, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri for Carter Burwell. This is the second nomination in like three years for Carter Burwell, and it's kind of weird that his first nominations are for anything other than his Coen Brothers work. It's really kind of disappointing and disheartening, actually, in a way, because his work for the Coens over the years has just been wonderful when he's worked with them. And it's kind of fitting that it's three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, because there is a little bit of Fargo in there. But honestly, I I can see... I, I do think we're looking at probably Shape of War for Alexander Desplat when his second one in four years... He did wonderful music for Shape of Wars. Absolutely beautiful score. It would be nice to see Hans Zimmer win his second Oscar finally for Dunkirk. Personally, I kind of... It, it's weird because it wasn't until I got his scores away from the movies that they were from that I really learned to appreciate Zimmer's work this year. So I'm a bit disappointed with his work overall when it, when it comes to with the movie. And I think part of that with Dunkirk has to do with the sound mix in general, which I was overall not terribly impressed with. But I, I do think Zimmer did great work. Johnny Greenwood, I would not complain about him wing because A, his score was fantastic for Fan Thread, and B, he deserves to be nominated for both There Will Be Blood and The Master. But I do think he'll be Desplat for the win for Shape of Water. It's, it's such a haunting and wonderful score. I love Last Jedi to death, but I, I definitely think it's going to be Shape of Water. I'm not going to go through the short film categories because I haven't seen any of the short films nominated. Uh, the documentary features, I still haven't seen any of those. Foreign language film, haven't seen any of those. Animated feature, right now I've only seen Coco and Breadwinner, both of which are quite good. Coco is still slightly above it, in my opinion, but br if Breadwinner were to somehow win, I would not be disappointed. It's really lovely, uh, dramatic animated film. 
I've not seen Ferdinand, Boss Baby, or Lovington since. Uh, I might get to one or two of them before the uh, Oscars. I may not. We'll see. So we are going to go to the uh, bigger awards now. Uh, we're going to start with the Screenplay Awards, which I have seen all ten of these nominees. We're going to start out with Adapted Screenplay. And this is, this is probably the strongest this category has been in a long time. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, which I wasn't a huge fan of the movie, but it's got its moments. It's a good movie. Logan, the first comic book movie ever nominated for a screenplay Oscar, and it's a fantastic one to do. It is, I absolutely love what Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green did with that screenplay. It's a Western within the trappings of a comic book movie. It's beautiful. It's emotional. It's just, it's such a rich piece of comic book superhero storytelling. It is one of the best screenplays ever for a superhero movie. And there's a reason it rightfully got in there. Molly's Game by Aaron Sorkin. It's a good screenplay. It's an entertaining screenplay. There's not much to it beyond that. Mudbound by D. Rees and Virgil Williams was a beautiful screenplay about racism and accepting people's differences and post-traumatic stress disorder. And it was it was a really terrific film. It was um, I'm so glad I saw this and that it's gotten the love that it did this year from the Academy. It just really deserved what it received for the Academy. And then the last one is The Disaster Artist by the writers of 500 Days of Summer. This is my number two after Logan. I, I think it's, it was the screen, it was the nomination that movie deserved the most, I think. Uh, there were good things about it overall, but I felt like the way the screenplay told the story and the way that it didn't it, it didn't fall into a lot of the traps that I was worried it was going to fall into when it came to telling the story of the room. It did a really good job. Uh, if Logan were not in this category, I would absolutely say it deserved to win. Um... We'll see what's going on as far as this category. I can see the gut tells me maybe call me by your name just because it's Best Picture nominated, but I can honestly see Disasters or Mudbound getting it. I would love to see Logan get I don't know if it will, but we'll see. It's, it's going to be an interesting category. That's, that's going to definitely be a surprise, I think. Best Original Screenplay. Uh, we have Jordan Peele for Get Out. Uh, Kumail Gianni and Emily V. Gordon for The Big Sick, Martin McDonough for Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, Greg Erwig for Lady Bird, and Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor for Shape of Water. This is another fantastic category. All of these nominees are fantastic and really rich and entertaining and have something to offer. Uh, I really hope Jordan Peele gets it for Get Out. If any of these won, I, three billboards would probably be the one I would be disappointed in most winning. I really do think it's going to be Get Out, though, and Jordan Peele. I think that's going to win it for original screenplay. Uh, unless they want to give it to Greg Erwig for Lady Bird, which I would have no problem with, but I have a feeling it's going to be Get Out. Best Director, we have Chris Nolan, Greg Erwig, Guillermo del Toro, Jordan Peele, and Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread. It's actually kind of surprising that Paul Thomas Anderson didn't get nominated for Best Original Screenplay, but the fact of the matter is there's not really room for him this year, and that's saying something considering how good that uh, screenplay was. It's kind of surreal to think that Christopher Nolan is only on his first Oscar nomination, and it's in probably the most competitive category the category's ever been in years. I can see if 
certain things follow different ways. I can see all five of these people winning. I think ultimately it'll be Guillermo del Toro, and you know what? He would absolutely deserve it. He did a brilliant job with Shape of War. It was a labor of love for him. It's a beautiful movie. It is one of his best movies. I don't know if I would quite put it up with uh, Payne's Labyrinth, but it's not far off. But this is really strong category this year for best directing. I can all five of them are worthy winners, but I do think Guillermo del Toro will win, and rightfully so. Best supporting actress: uh, Allison Janney for Itania, Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird, Leslie Manville for Fan Thread. Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, and Octavia Spencer for Shape of Water. Octavia Spencer is on roll, and she she's done so much great work over the past decade. It's amazing to see the way her career has, the trajectory her career has taken her, and the fact that she keeps finding her way into these great roles again and again and again. It's real credit to her. My two choices here are Laurie Metcalf and Leslie Manville. I do think Allison Janney will probably end up winning, but this is a category that could be open for an upset, and I can see either Laurie Metcalf or Leslie Manville causing that upset because both of them were tremendous in their roles. Uh, I love uh, the dynamic Metcalf had with uh, Soros Ronan, in Lady Bird, and Leslie Manville just absolutely, she kind of steals the movie in Phantom Thread, and it's she was a worthy nominee for it. I I kind of wish I kind of wish Vicky Crepes, uh, Crepes, uh, who played the Alma, who played uh, who was uh, Daniel Day Lewis's muse in Phantom Thread had gotten nominated for Best Actress, but Leslie Manville was up there with the best performances of the year. Allison Janney is going to win. I can't begrudge it for her. She's great in everything she does. I do think Laurie Metcalf, in terms of if you're doing a battle between the mothers this year with Lady Bird and Itania, I think Laurie Metcalf gets my vote, but Allison Janney is probably going to win. I can't really def- I can't really blame her for that. I can't really hold that against her because she is terrific in everything she does. Best supporting actor, uh, we have Christopher Plummer for his 13 days of work on All the Money in the World, Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water, Sam Rockwell and Woody Harrelson both for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And my personal choice, even though I have not seen Christopher Plummer, but I don't think it would change, my personal choice in this category being Willem Dafoe in The Florida Project. I was really disappointed that this film did not get more love from the Academy. I wish it had. I would have liked to have seen it in Best Screenplay, Best Direction, Best Picture. I would have loved to have seen it all over the place. Unfortunately, Willem Dafoe is basically the standard bearer for it, and he is a great one because I absolutely loved him in that movie. I thought it was a fantastic performance by him. I think he... It's it's interesting. I sort of likened it to a uh, companion role to uh, his Jesus in The Last Temptation of Christ by Scorsese, uh, when I saw it, that was one of the things that first uh, popped out at me when it came to his role, role in the Florida Project. I would love to see him win. The probable winner is going to be Sam Rockwell for three billboards. I can't really begrudge him because he's a terrific actor who's overdue for this type of, uh, for this sort of recognition. You know, it, it is what it is, but I really do... I really would like to see a surprise win by Willem Dafoe. He was so good in the Florida Project. Best Actors, we have Frances McDormand in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Margot Robbie in I, Tanya, Meryl Streep in The Post, Sally Hawkins in The Shape of Water, and Saros Ronan for Lady Bird. 
like every other category in here, this is a tremendous list. Uh, Ronan is my number one for Lady Bird. She is, she's another one who has done terrific work and is overdue for an Oscar, even though being so young. But she's probably not going to win. It's probably going to be Frances McDormand, and I cannot fault him for giving it to her. This would be her second Oscar after Fargo, and she would basically deserve it. If any of the actors in this category won, they would be deserving. Uh, Ronan and Sally Hawkins are my top two. Uh, Shape of War was absolutely beautiful, and Sally Hawkins was a huge part of that. Uh, but Frances McDormand will probably win, and I'm comfortable with that. I think she will deserve to win. Best performance by an actor in a leading role. We have Daniel Day-Lewis for Fan Thread. Daniel Kayuya, I apologize, for Get Out. Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel Esquire, which I have not seen. Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour. And Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name. Gary Oldman is probably going to win. Uh, I am looking at that win as retribution for the fact that he has not won yet and has deserved to win in the past. Um, this is basically sort of an honorary Oscar. It's about time for me. Uh, for him, he was good as Winston Churchill in Darkest Hour. He got better as the movie went along, but for early on, I kind of felt like well, he's just Gary Oldman playing Winston Churchill. Kauya and Daniel Day-Lewis, Get Out and Fam Thread are my top two choices. I would love to see either one of them win. And it's weird for me to say that Daniel Day-Lewis deserves to win his third Oscar in 10 years. You know, spread the wealth around. But the fact of the matter is, he was absolutely tremendous in Fam Thread. I loved his performance. And... He deserves it. He, he would deserve to win. But I do think it's going to be Gary Oldman in the end. So that brings us to Best Picture. And the nominees are Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. The only one here where I'm just kind of average on it is Call Me By Your Name. I didn't feel like it was a strong movie on the whole. I thought there were strong parts of it, but I did not think it was a great movie overall. Get Out is my choice for Best Picture of the Year of these movies. Although there's talk of Dunkirk winning. That, okay. Lady Bird could possibly win. I'm fine with that. Uh, Shape of Water, I would certainly be fine with that. I love Del Toro's film. Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, I would be less thrilled with seeing it win. I do hope Get Out wins. I really hope Get Out wins. I, I think it was, it was a movie that was even better the second time around. I thought it was a beautiful film. I thought it was a brilliant social commentary by Jordan Peele. And it just absolutely blows you away, I think. And uh, it, it, tells, it tells the story it wants to tell in an interesting way, and that's one of the things I love about it. And uh, so that's my best picture. Uh, I do think it's, it's kind of an open race this year. I can see up to three or four nominees of those nine winning. Uh, it's it's going to be a really interesting year to see. <coughs> So with that out of the way, um, we come to my 10 best list for 2017. Before we go, uh, I'm not going to do my favorites list because honestly, my favorites list is kind of the same as it was at the end of 2017. I mean, I could add Shape of Water, I could add Phantom Thread, I could put the posts in there. There were a few movies that I've seen in the past uh, couple months catching up. David Lowry's Ghost Story would be a really good choice. Um, but ultimately, the the movies I said left a mark at the end of 2017, they basically stayed that way. In 
and that high on the list. It was just a really terrific year for those movies. Uh, and I absolutely love each of those movies as much as I did when I put that list together. I love Coco, love Baby Driver, love It. Um, I loved, uh, there's so many more. I think a lot of them are on here, which is why I'm not really uh, putting putting them on there. Okja was a movie It's not on my top ten list, but I thought was absolutely amazing. I thought the Spielberg documentary was terrific. I thought Jim and Andy was terrific. Uh, there, there are just so many really great movies. I wish I could include Thor Ragnarok. I wish I could include Guardians 2. I wish I could include... Uh, the Waiting Room, which is one of the shorts that I saw this year that I really loved. I wish I could include uh, The Post, Coco, um, The Deja Vuers, Beyond Repair, uh, Mudbound. There are so many films that I just really love this year. They're going to miss out on this top ten list. Um, but it says a lot about the ten movies that are on here that they're on here, and they're, they occupied that space in my life exceptionally. And so we're going to start 10 to 1, and uh, number 10 is Matt Reeves' conclusion to the new Planet of the Apes trilogy, War for the Planet of the Apes. This is, I don't know if I would necessarily, I, when I first saw it, I said this was probably my the best of the uh, three new Planet of the Apes movies. I no longer necessarily feel that's the case. I've seen Rise again recently for a podcast that I hope to do, and that is a brilliant film. War is a fantastic conclusion to this trilogy, though. It has an all-timer performance by Andy Serkis as Caesar, wrapping up his time as Caesar, it's basically Apocalypse Now, but it is really haunting and beautiful, and it concludes Caesar's story in a way that does justice to what that story was, and the evolution of Caesar as a character, and Matt Reeves just captures everything beautifully in that. Number nine is one of only two short films I have on my top ten list this year, but it's a pretty damn good one. It is Chris Esper's Undateman Center. Uh, it's a romantic comedy of sorts that he made and I saw last April, if I remember correctly. And it's just such an entertaining movie. It's about a guy who goes to a very unique dating service and uh, has not the greatest encounters there. But he finds a way of uh, he finds a way of having it work for him in a way that will uh, make him uh, satisfied in the long run. It's really entertaining film. Uh, he's had some success with it this year on the festival circuit. If you get a chance to watch it, I highly, highly recommend it. Um, that is Undatement Center from Chris Esper, a uh, friend of the podcast who's been on. Uh, the show for three times now. Number eight is The Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro, which is a beautiful fantasy. It is a summation of a lot of the things that make del Toro's films great. And it features a wonderful role by for Doug Jones as the, as the creature that finds himself connected with Sally Hawkins' uh, death janitor. It's a fascinating riff on Creature from the Black Lagoon, and it's absolutely delightful. It is a wonderful dramatic fantasy, is wonderfully seen and visualized and told story about connection, about an important connection between two individuals, more than two individuals actually, if you want to bring in Richard Jenkins' character, who is the uh, neighbor for Sally, who is Sally Hawkins' neighbor in the film, who have a hard time connecting with people. And 
Jones and Hawkins do such a great job with a silent uh, courtship, and it really the the story really hits home well. It is a wonderfully emotional story, and it is easily one of Guillermo del Toro's best films. Number seven is James Mangold's Logan, which was quite easily the best superhero movie of 2017. It wasn't even really close. When I saw it again uh, in late December, I believe, early January, or early January, it was the first time in about nine months that I had seen it, and wow, it really, it really slammed me. It just hit like a brick. It was, it's a perfect summation of Hugh Jackman's time as Wolverine, and it's amazing to see where uh, his character in Patrick Stewart's Professor X started in that first X-Men, and then seeing where they end up in Logan. And it's a phenomenal film. It was, it deserved to be a Best Picture contender, and it would have been nice to see it in there, but it's just going to have to sell for being the best superhero movie of 2017. And that's saying something, considering the year 2017 was for superhero movies, which Wonder Woman was another one I forgot to include. But that is still one of my favorite movies of the year. Number six is Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. I did not know what to expect from this movie when I saw the previews. It was Paul Thomas Anderson, it's Daniel Day-Lewis. You hope that it's going to be a worthy follow-up in their uh, collaboration to There Will Be Blood, and by God, it absolutely was, is the story of a dressmaker who has, <coughs> who builds an affection for one of his models, and we see how that play how that plays out and the different types of relationship dynamics that go into play there. And you have Leslie Manville as Daniel Day Lewis's sister. Um and I never expected anything like this. I wasn't sure what to expect and I was blown away by what I got. It was just beautiful. It was a beautiful movie. It was an intricate movie. It plays on a lot of themes that Paul Thomas Anderson has covered well. It has Daniel Day-Lewis at the top of his game, and it's sad to think that this w might be the last time we see him on screen, but he's going out on top. It was a stunning performance. There are so All three of the main leads are stunning in this movie, and you do not expect where this movie heads in the second half of it. It's something else. And it was <clears throat> it was quite a movie to watch in the theaters. I'm glad I did. And Paul Thomas Anderson, after I was very, not really a huge fan of his when he started off with uh, Boogie Nights and Magnolia, I wasn't a huge fan of those movies. Um, since then, though, he's kind of blown me away, and he's kind of earned blowing me away, and this is another film that does that. Uh, so number six is Phantom Thread. Number five is Star Wars The Last Jedi. I will be discussing this movie in more depth uh, later on in the year with Ronnie Haynes, Daniel Green, and hopefully uh, David Miles will have a little Yahoo's with a microphone uh, reunion going on here. It This movie, I, I love it. It is one of my favorite Star Wars movies of all time. It's probably my favorite performance Mark Hamill was given as Luke Skywalker. Yes, I understand a lot of the criticisms, but it doesn't matter to me because this movie just hooks me in and doesn't let go, and I love what Ryan Johnson did with it. 
I'm so grateful we got this Star Wars movie. So glad we... I'm, I'm glad I don't know where Episode Nine is going to go. I have no idea what that's going to look like, and I'm excited by that. It's so exciting to think that there's going to be this new Star Wars movie where in the Skywalker saga that I don't know what's going to happen. I can conjecture like everybody else will for the next two years. Ultimately, I really don't know. And that's the it's a tremendous credit to what Ryan Johnson has done. I love it. I can't wait for the pr- trilogy he's producing. I'm all psyched up for more Star Wars, and I'm excited about it. Number four is Sean Baker's The Florida Project, which is about families who live in hotels just on the outskirts of tourist, the tourist area in Orlando, Florida. And Willem Dafoe plays the manager of one of these hotels that um, basically act as slums for poverty-stricken families who can't afford to do anything. And they are basically living day to day. And it's primarily about the kids, but Defoe has a key role in this film. And it just, it broke my heart when I first saw it. And I'm so glad I was able to see it in theaters. It's such a beautiful movie. It's, it's a movie that really signifies Baker as a wonderful storyteller. And I'm so excited to see what he does next because... Between Tangerine G- Dream or Tangerine, excuse me, and the Florida Project, I'm all in on what he's doing as a storyteller, and I I love the type of stories he tells, and I'm interested to see what his next one is. Number three is Jordan Peele's Get Out. I've already talked a little bit about it. I love the way Peele discusses. He hits on racial appropriation in a very Twilight Zone way, and that's kind of exciting. I, I, I really love the way he tells this story. I love the way he builds this, this scenario out, and I, it's fascinating the way it plays out. I love the music in it. I love the performances. I think everything works in it. And I love the fact that Jordan Peele could have done a, made this a comedy and played it safe. And he didn't, and he made a horror movie, and he made one of the best horror movies of the year. I think as far as pure horror, I think It Chapter One is a better film, but Get Out is so much more than just horror, and that's one of the things that's really exciting about it. Number two is Nicholas Duarte's J, which is another short film of him. His, it's a documentary about an artist. And it, it's, I only saw it once. I saw it very early on in the year. It was one of the first films I saw in 2017. And it just, like every other one of Duarte's films I've seen, it just really... It takes you someplace you don't expect to go. And that's one of the great things I like about Duarte, Nicholas uh, Duarte and uh, the films they make. And I really want to get them on the podcast at some point this year or next year or whatever and talk about his films because of the fact that he just does such a lovely job with telling interesting stories, doing interesting things with film form. And Jay is one of my favorites of his. Um, and that's, that's saying quite a bit because I've been a huge fan of several uh, Nicholas's other films. Which brings me to my number one film of the year. And it, it's kind of inevitable that this ended up the top of the list. Uh, because I, there are very few movies that have had quite the impact on me when I first saw it that Darren Aronofsky's mother did. It is one of the most polarizing films of 2017, and 
I say one of the because I have a feeling Last Jedi kind of passed it later on in the year. I absolutely love Darren Aronofsky's film. I love the I love what he's doing. I love the type of story he's doing. I love the way he does it. It's melodrama jacked up to eleven and a half. And it's it's metaphor, it's not subtle, it's not easy, and it's brilliant. It's it's brilliant and it's fueled by the greatest performance we've seen yet from Jennifer Lawrence. I get why people hate this movie, but it hit me like a sledgehammer and it just really I was with this film right away. And if you don't get into this film right away, you're going to hate it. And I get it. But this is such a difficult and extraordinary film to watch. There's nothing else like it that came out in 2017. There's probably nothing like it that's going to come out in 2018. There's probably nothing like it that's going to come out in 2019. It hits on a lot of this themes that Aronofsky has touched on throughout his entire career, starting with Pi, and whether it's Requiem for a Dream, whether it's The Fountain, whether it's Noah, whether it's Black Swan, there's something about this film and the way he tells this story that's singular, that's unlike any other storyteller in modern film history. And it's a tremendous credit to him as a director that I continue to be astonished by what he does. I continue to get excited by what he does. That's the marks of a great filmmaker. That I get excited every time Aronofsky has another film, and I'm challenged with every film. There's something about every film that challenges me. And that's something I love about him as a filmmaker. That's something that he is... There are very few filmmakers like him. David Lynch is basically retired from filmmaking. Aronofsky's basically taking up his mantle. And that's exciting. And he's doing it in his own way. He's not just copying Lynch. He's challenging us in the same way that Lynch does. And that's one of the reasons why Mother had such an amazing impact on me. It's one of the reasons why it just... I think its reputation will get better the more people who watch it. I think it's... Even if it doesn't get better, it's going to get remembered. And that's the mark of a great film, regardless of whether the masses think it's great. And I think that you could say... the the exact same thing about The Last Jedi. It's a great film because it challenges our perceptions of what film and what certain types of films do. And that's always exciting. And Darren Aronofsky is one of the greats when it comes to doing that. And <coughs> it's not surprising that Mother ended up on the top of my 10 best list. It's that good. And I hope people would check it out based on my recommendation. I I loved it. It's 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 melodrama for the sake of melodrama. It's psychological thriller. It's religious parable. It's it's a work of anxiety from a filmmaker who understands what anxiety needs to look like on the screen and it's not pretty and that's and and that's something that uh mother executes quite well with all that being said i'm going to wrap it up thank you very much for joining me uh this is going to be one of the few solo uh podcasts i'm going to do each and every year uh my other one will probably be my dragon con one and there are going to be a couple of other ones. I do have a uh, music-related one that I'm going to do uh, later this year that I think people will enjoy. <coughs> Coming up, though, I have a uh, discussion with uh, Marv Dickey on one of my very favorite films of all time. I have a 
discussion on one of the most polarizing religious films of all time with a uh, friend of faith and a fellow podcaster. I also hopefully have a discussion with my mother coming up. I have a discussion on Star Wars, um, a discussion on Planet of the Apes, and many other films. For now, though, join us on the Sonic Cinema Patreon. Thank you for your patronage if you've already joined. If not, it's it's not asking for much, and I promise as much content as I can give you. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to make it worth your while to contribute to it, and it's going to be... it. I, I think it will be an exciting thing to explore as I get deeper into it. So with that being said, this is Brian Scuttle for the Sonic Cinema Podcast. Thanking you and join me once again at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you very much.